Today on the Southland Christian Ministries Sermon Podcast, Rebecca Brock speaks to the 2023 Ladies Retreat in a session entitled, Seasons of Thriving. Those are some of my very favorite hymn lyrics. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. I hope that you have trusted your soul to Christ, that you have trusted him for your very greatest need. And I've been thinking recently, we trust him for our greatest need, that is our salvation. How much more should we trust him day in and day out for all of those lesser things? And sometimes we can trust him for the greatest, but then we think, oh, but what about this? Oh, for grace to trust him more. You all have already encouraged me. I was loving hearing you sing. You were ministering to me as you were singing to me. I'm on the front row so I can hear you. And that's been an encouragement to me already. I I failed to mention last night that I really want to serve you this weekend. I am here for you. I didn't bring any people with me. I don't have my people around me, (laughs) so you guys can be my people, all right? And I would love to get to know you. I would love to hear your stories. I can listen, and if you need somebody to listen, I can do that. That would be a joy for me to get to know you, to listen, to pray with you, maybe over a burden that you're groaning over, then maybe we could pray about it together. So please don't hesitate to come and grab me. Um, and I would love, I'd love to get to know you. I was blessed this morning at my table for breakfast. We were talking about some takeaways. I hope that you have a takeaway from last night. I hope you'll tell a friend. You know what? It helps with some accountability when we tell a friend, this is my takeaway. You can ask me about it on the way home. You can ask me about it next month. If I'm living out that takeaway, um, let's encourage one another, provoke one another uh, to love and to good works. I'd like to invite you to take your Bible and join with me this morning uh, to Psalm, Psalm 1. Years ago, I was living in Southern California, and a friend gave me some bright yellow lemons, and they were gorgeous, and they were making my kitchen so cheerful, and I had them displayed, and I loved looking at these lemons. They're just so clean and crisp and beautiful. Well, they started getting a little wilty, and I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to cook with these, so I better give them to somebody who will use them. my beautiful lemons away. And very shortly after, I was reading a women's magazine, and there was an article entitled 101 New Uses for Everyday Things, subtitled, When Life Gives You Lemons, Use Them as a Cleaner, a Pain Reliever, a Laundry Whitener, and We're Just Getting Started. (laughs) Wouldn't you know it, number one on the list of everyday items were lemons. And I was Reading this article, and I learned that you can use lemons to sanitize uh, chopping blocks. You can use them to eliminate the browning on your avocados or other you know, food that might tend to brown. You can remove tough food stains from your cutting boards. You can relieve a sore throat. You can whiten your fingernails. You can brighten your whites when you're doing laundry, all with lemons. And as I'm reading this article, I want my lemons back. <laughs> I had overlooked their value, and I had seen them as just something beautiful and superficial to brighten up my kitchen. I still use lemons in my kitchen to brighten it up, but I have learned that there are other values for lemons. Today, as we look at Psalm 1, 
could I encourage you to look at it with fresh eyes? I think our temptation might be to look at Psalm 1 as beautiful and decorative, but maybe not as valuable as we should. Maybe we'll view it as that chapter I memorized in the kids' program so I could get the sticker. You know, and that's a children's psalm, and we might not see it as vitally important for our lives as I believe it is. In my local church, I am um, working with our small groups, and we are studying the book of Psalms, um, just selected psalms. And I thought, okay, we really need to start with Psalm 1. But I was viewing it a little like my lemons. I was thinking, all right, you know, it's the entrance of the book of Psalms. We really should start here, but everybody knows Psalms, and this is going to be kind of basic. And in the last month... Can I tell you, God has done a work in my heart over Psalm 1, and it is rich and deep and valuable, and we're going to primarily focus on the first three verses today because we don't have time. You don't want to hear me talk about all six verses. We don't have time for that today, but I believe the Lord has something here for us, and I want us to see that in Psalm 1, we have a path for thriving. Are you thriving this morning? Are you flourishing Are you stable? We have a path for that here in Psalm 1. And we are going to see that the blessed woman in Psalm 1 is rightly related to the word. If you want to be thriving today, the way that you will thrive is through God's word. We're going to read Psalm 1 together, and then we're going to pray and we'll dive in. Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Father, the words of that hymn resonate in my heart today that all is vain unless the Spirit comes down. And Lord, we need you today. We're going to look at a very familiar passage Oh, Lord, would you help us to see it with fresh eyes? Lord, would you allow this time in your word to encourage us to be flourishing, thriving women of the word? Would you do what only you can do in opening our eyes so that we can behold wondrous things from Psalm 1 today? In your name I pray, amen. So we're going to see that the blessed woman is rightly related to God's word. And we're going to see two big ideas on how she's rightly related to the word. The first I want us to see today is blessed women take pleasure in God's word. Blessed women are characterized by taking pleasure in the word. Now we see at the beginning of Psalm 1, we start with this word blessed. Blessed is And then we have a portrait of this blessed person. I want you to understand that the blessed person in verse 1 is the same person in verse 6 who's called righteous. So we're going to see that this blessed person is the righteous person. And both people are aspirational um, in nature. This person is, this portrait is for us to aspire to. Think of the Proverbs 31 woman. Do you hate her? I was so relieved. I don't know when it was to discover she's not real. She's just this like aspirational portrait. And we don't have to hate her. 
And here, we have the same thing. We have the blessed person. This is an aspirational figure, something that we can attain to in Psalm 1. Now, I'm going to tell you that all the pronouns in Psalm 1 are male. We have a blessed man, his, but the word man there is person or human being. So I identify with female pronouns, and so I hope you do too. And we are going to use female pronouns this morning, okay? So we're going to talk about the blessed woman, and that's scriptural, okay? So we're going to see here that the blessed woman takes pleasure in God's word. And this blessed woman, she's going to make right choices, and she's going to have right priorities, and she's going to follow the right path, and God declares her blessed. Now, when I memorized this years ago, I memorized it like this. Blessed is the man. And it took me years to understand that blessed just meant blessed. And I, that pronunciation was throwing me off. It's just blessed. This is an exclamatory idea that means, oh, how very happy. Oh, how blessed. Now, this is not talking about the happiness that comes from a big bowl of cookies and cream ice cream. That's a blessing. If I were holding that, I would feel blessed. But that's not the kind of blessing we're talking about here. We're talking about a happiness or an intangible satisfaction that comes through a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Oh, how blessed. Oh, how satisfied and thriving is the woman who. See how this woman finds her joy. Do you see? In verse 2, but her delight is in the law of the Lord. That word delight means pleasure or means joy. God's law to her is not a drudgery. God's law to her is not a necessary evil. It's her joy. Spending time in God's law is not a box that she checks to be a good Christian because she got her devos in. It's her joy. It lights up her eyes. It's her source of pleasure. It's her source of satisfaction. And this is an attitude that really tells us who she is. It's her identity. She delights in the law of the Lord. If I were to ask you, what's your best friend like? What's your spouse like? What kinds of things would come to mind? If you were to ask me, what's your husband like? I mean, of course, I would start with he's incredibly handsome and muscular and all of that, thing, all of that stuff. But I would begin telling you things like, he loves the children and I sacrificially. His favorite foods are steak and sushi. He loves preaching and theology. He loves sports, Premier League soccer, the Packers. We had a bad night last night. Um, loves sports. He loves coaching our boys in basketball. What kinds of things am I telling you? I am identifying my husband by what he loves, what brings him joy, what brings him satisfaction. And here we see the same thing. This blessed woman is identified by loving God's word. What brings a person pleasure says a lot about who that person is. And righteous people should be characterized by loving God's word. Listen to just some excerpts from Psalm 119. The psalmist says, make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein I delight. And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. I delight in thy law. Let thy tender mercies come unto me that I may live, for thy law is my delight. Unless thy law had been my delight, I should have perished in mine affliction. 
Over and over, the psalmist is saying, I love your word. I love your word. I love your law. It brings me joy. It brings me delight. It brings me satisfaction. And the psalmist says in Psalm 19, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The scripture should be to us more satisfying than honey. Do you realize when David said that in Psalm 19, that it's sweeter than honey? That was about the sweetest thing he could imagine. (sighs) Poor David, he did not understand cheesecake or macarons or truffles or anything like that, right? Can you say that the word of God is sweeter than cheesecake, more decadent than the richest chocolate truffle? That's what David is saying here. Notice that the righteous woman doesn't just delight in God's word, but I want us to see that she chooses delighting in God's word over than fi- over fitting in with the ungodly. We see this contrast. So look at the beginning of verse 2. We have this very important word, but, which connects us to verse 1. What does the righteous, blessed woman not do? And we see this description that she has rejected the way of the ungodly and instead is delighting in the law. Law here is Torah or God's instructions. This is hard for me to get my mind around. When I am having my time with the Lord, you know what? My favorite books are not often Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But that's what the psalmist is talking about here. He's talking about God's instructions, God's perspective on right living. And he says, I love it. I delight in it. It's essential to me. Notice what this woman rejects. Because she loves the law of the Lord, she rejects the counsel of the ungodly. See that in verse 1. Walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Counsel there is just advice. And the word walketh, it's the idea of following. So she does not follow the advice of the godless person. The person who does not have God in the picture rejects that kind of counsel, does not follow that. We do a lot of following today. Maybe you follow people on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube or you name it, Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. Do you follow people? We do. We follow people. And the idea here is that the blessed woman won't be dependent on those godless voices, the ones that are giving you advice apart from God and apart from what's consistent with his, God, with his wisdom, will not be dependent on secular voices to teach her how to live or to how to deal with life's problems or how to think. She'll be discerning. She won't be following things like, God just wants me to be happy. It's my body. I need to do more of what makes me happy. I need to believe in myself. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. If someone doesn't affirm me, then they don't love me. I can't help it that I do such and such. It's just my personality. It's just my biology. But you know what? I'm stronger than I know, and I'm destined for greatness. All of those... They do not have roots in a godly perspective on life. You see, here's the point. The point is is that the, the blessed woman is so enamored with truth that she doesn't live according to the philosophies and the sensibilities of this present age. She takes, um, she has tasted that the word is sweet and the word is satisfying and it meets the real issues of her hearts. And so she doesn't seek the advice of the godless. She has chosen God's wisdom 
even though it is foolishness to this world. And she has embraced true wisdom, which exposes everything else as empty and vain and pointless. Because you know where that leads you? That leads you to the point where you say boys can be girls and girls can be boys. And it's a mess. And the righteous woman is so tethered to truth that she does not need the counsel of the godless. What else does she reject? She rejects the company of the sinners, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Now, this is not talking about having your unsaved family or your unsaved neighbors over for dinner. This doesn't mean you can't rub shoulders or spend time with people who are sinners. The way there is talking about the lifestyle of the ungodly. She doesn't listen to their counsel, and so she is not living in their same manner. She's not embracing their lifestyle. Remember Lot? Scripture tells us that the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And where did Lot decide to hang out? With exceedingly wicked sinners. That's what this is talking about. You see, sinners are not devoted to God, and the blessed woman doesn't allow them to become the influencers in her life. The blessed woman finds so much joy in the word that she doesn't need the lifestyle of the wicked to satisfy her. She finds satisfaction in the law of the Lord and the restrictions even of the Lord so much so that she's not lured by the freedom and the carefree facade of the party lifestyle. Oh, it looks so good. She's not enamored with that. The blessed woman finds delight in truth, and she's not deceived by the pretty lights on the path of sin. Not only does she reject the godless counsel and sinful company, but look, she rejects conformity to the scornful, conformity to the world. It says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. We see a real progression here. We see the ungodly, They don't factor God into their life. Then they're sinners, and now they're scornful. The idea here is they are mocking God. They are hardened in their sin because of their unbelief, because of their unrighteousness. They are holding down the truth of God that's written on their hearts, and they are making a mockery of sin here. The seed of the scornful is talking about the assembly. When we go to church, we are assembly. We are, we are assembling together. We are a congregation. And here the idea is that the righteous, blessed person, she is not assembling with those who are mocking God. She's not hanging out in their venues. She's not counted as one of them. And why is this? Because she loves the law, loves God's word. How about you, friend? Does this characterize you? If someone put an identity tag on your life, would they say, now there's a woman of the word. Now there's a woman, every time I'm with her, you know what makes her glow? Is when we talk about the word. She delights in God's word. There's a precious passage in Jeremiah where Jeremiah is having a conversation with God and he's in a rough way. And I believe that he was probably meditating on this psalm. I'm going to read you a couple verses and you tell me if you can hear the connections. Jeremiah says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing. Name, O Lord of hosts, I sat not in the assembly of the mockers. I sat alone. Saints of all ages have had to make this decision. 
Am I going to embrace God's word and sometimes be willing to sit alone and not go down the path of the ungodly? Friends, when you make that decision, you are joining the ranks of the blessed. I want us to see that not only find pleasure in the word, but I want us to also see at the second half of verse 2 that blessed women talk to themselves about the word. Look at the end of verse 2. And his delight, or her delight, um, and in his law, I'm sorry, doth he meditate day and night. In his law, she meditates day and night. Rebecca, what are you talking about? She talks to herself about the word. What does this look like? Well, that word meditate is the word for mutter. Do you talk to yourself? Do you mutter to yourself under your breath? Every once in a while, one of my children will say, Mom, you are talking to yourself. Like, what's going on? Sometimes it's a pep talk. Okay. All right. The next thing. Sometimes I'm having pointless conversations with other people, explaining to them, you know, why we should do this, make this important decision. The Lord is working on me in this area where I don't want to be talking to other people about pointless conversations. I want to be talking to myself about the word, and that's the idea here. She is muttering. She's speaking to herself. And this word meditate indicates intense study and reflection. You see, blessed women find so much delight in God's word that they study it, they're in it, they're devoted to God's word, and it's, it's dwelling in them richly so that they are like chewing it over. I've heard it described as, you know, like a cow where they swallow their lunch and then they bring it back up to, to chew on it a little bit more. We can also view med- meditation as, neg- as positive worry. What happens when you worry? You take a truth or a lie, or a fear, and you examine it from every different possible angle. And what about this, and what about this, and what happens? But that's what the righteous woman is doing with God's word. She takes a truth about who God is, or what God's desire is, and she thinks about that, and she chews on it. And then it's time to go feed her kids, so she might swallow it for a while. And then she has a little free time while she's folding laundry, and what does she do? She, oh, what was that? Oh, yeah, and she brings it back up, and then she talks to herself and gives herself a pep talk, and she examines that truth from every angle. And a righteous, blessed woman has God's word in her heart, in her head, and it comes out her mouth. That's extreme. But that's the path to being blessed. Why would she do this? I want us to see that this is not her identity. Her identity is finding joy. But it's her activity And I want you to understand that our activity, what we do, always flows out of who we are. So I told you that my husband loves sports, and he enjoys the Packers. You know what we do at our house? When the Packers are on, we either record it if we're busy, but if the Packers are on ASAP, we watch the Packers, because my husband loves the Packers. My husband loves sushi. I do too. What do we do when it's a date night? We wait till Monday or Tuesday when it's half-priced sushi, and we go get sushi together. Our activity flows out of our identity, who we are, what we love. Why does a righteous woman do this? Because it's who she is. She loves God's word. When does she do this? Ouch. Let's look at this at the end of verse 2. Meditates day and night. How often does she do this? Day in, day out, when she wakes up in the middle of the night, when she's driving kids to school, 
No matter what she's doing, God's word is close at hand because it's in her head, it's in her heart. She studied it, she loves it, and so it's there, and she is meditating all of the time. This was a convicting thought to me. God's word is her go-to happy place. Do you have a go-to happy place? Sometimes we think of that as something very um, juvenile. Like little girls, you know, they've got their little princess world. We talked about last night our ideals, our expectations about living in reality. But I think sometimes we can find our escapes in like go-to happy places. Somebody says something that upsets me. Okay, I'm going to go to this. Is God's word your stabilizing factor of your life? Is it your go-to happy place? Maybe you'd say, Rebecca, I would really like to delight in God's word, but right now I just don't. Like what you're talking about is so foreign to me. Like this is scaring me. But I want to be there. Maybe that's what, where you are today. Could I give you just a few practical help? Let's get really practical this morning. You say, I don't have a habit of delighting in God's word. Where should I start? So here's just a couple of things. First of all, pray. The psalmist prayed this, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Ask the Lord to help you. We have to have the Spirit's help to understand God's word. And so pray and say, God, talk real honestly to him. Say, God, I don't delight in your word. It doesn't bring me any joy. I'm having a hard time understanding it. Help. Tell him that. Ask him for help. I'd also encourage you to choose a place and a time. Christ sought out the Father a great while before day. Isaiah 50 tells us that morning by morning, he has a disciple as one who is taught. If Christ needed to do this, if Christ had to set out a time and he would arise a great while before day, find your time when it fits into your schedule and make it a priority. Find a time to have your discipleship moment with God's word. And then cultivate a Cultivate a craving for God's word. Here's the truth. How many of you have ever started um, some kind of fitness regimen or some kind of, all right, I'm going to eat better starting, all right, yes. All right, I'm going to eat better. So what do you have to do if you're going to eat better? Well, for me, I need to get the ice cream out of my house. I need to get all the snacky, I like oyster crackers. That might sound so strange, but I can eat a whole bag of oyster crackers. I mean, there's like certain things. I just like, I, I, I have to get rid of them get the temptation out of the house, and then once I'm eating, you know, the asparagus and the Brussels sprouts, I really love them. But you know what? My junk food, that can hamper my taste for what's good. The same thing is true in the spiritual life. Listen to what Peter says. He says, lay aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, and as newborn babies, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. What's Peter saying? In order to cultivate a craving for God's word, you have to put sin away. And so examine your life and say, all right, God, what, am I, what do I find pleasure in right now? Do I have any unholy pleasures? Do I have any sin that I'm allowing to take away my taste for your word and do some self-examination and say, God, why don't I desire your word? And be willing to put those away. And I want you to understand that when Peter says, when he says, as newborn babies, desire, that word desire is a verb. It's a command. We need to say, all right, God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do everything I can to desire your word, and I'm going to put away what's wrong. Can I encourage you to get a plan? Get a reading plan. Don't 
every morning, don't start your morning or whenever you read your Bible and be like, all right, today. That's not a good, that will not help you with consistency. Because every morning it's a brand new decision. Where am I going to read today? Cut out as many decisions as possible from your life, okay? So choose a, choose a small book, maybe the book of Proverbs, maybe an epistle, and be there. Don't worry about getting your chapters in. And, and I say that hesitantly, but sometimes we can just treat it like a box to check. And you, it would, you would be better served to read one paragraph that you understand, where you say, I'm going to read this paragraph, even if I have to read it 10 times. And I'm going to say, what has God said here? And then maybe look up words you don't understand. What has God said here? And then maybe put it in your own words. I'm going to write this in my own words. What's the big idea in my own words? And then I'm going to say, all right, God, I've heard. Now, how do you want me to obey? And then ask him, God, thank you for showing me here this truth. Now, God, how should I obey this truth today? Get a simple plan. And then maybe write that one truth on a card or on your app. Get a flashcard app, all right, and have that verse or have that truth so that when you're folding laundry and it feels very brainless, you're like, what was that truth from this morning? And you have it, and you can pull it up, and you can chew on it for a while as you're folding laundry. And these are just small ways to incorporate God's Word into your life so that you can med meditate it day in and day out. One of my newest habits that really flows out of Psalm 1 is that I am working hard to listen to Scripture. So when I study God's Word in the morning, I love to like study and dig in, but that means I'm not making a lot of progress. So I go deep and shallow. Shallow and deep, that doesn't go together. All right, so I do maybe a smaller, smaller amount of reading in my personal time, but then I want God's word to permeate me, and I want to understand the big picture. And so right now, I'm, I feel a little weak in the book of Acts. So I've been listening to Acts as I do my, my household things. And I'm, John is so theological and so deep. So I've been listening to John and Acts, and my heart is blessed. Can I tell you, every time I have chosen to listen to scripture, I find joy. It's just that little phrase when someone's reading it to you, I never saw that before. And it's like this little window of sunshine. Those are just some simple ways. I don't know how the Lord would want you to start incorporating his word, but can I encourage you with that? And then the more we see that, the more we're like, we read God's word and the spirit illuminates us and we see a truth from God's word. We're like, every once in a while, I'm like, Brian, I never saw this. Look what I just learned. It's like the God of the universe just talked to me. You know, I have to share it with somebody. But then you know what? The next morning, you're like, well, I want to hear from God today. And it will, it will snowball. And before long, six months down the line, you'll look back and you'll be like, remember when I thought Rebecca was crazy saying that she talked about the word? or we, that, I'm doing it. And we'll see a little progress. Baby steps in the right direction. Maybe you'd say, now, Rebecca, um, I, I want to delight in God's word, but... I just don't have time. You just don't understand my schedule. I do not have time for God's word. I am too busy. Would you go with me to a familiar place in the town of Bethany for just a moment? I'd like us to remember two sisters, Mary and Martha. And I'll just tell you right now, I love Martha. Martha gets a bad rap. She was a servant, and she learned 
she is she makes one of the most um, one of the most powerful declarations of Christ being Messiah that we have in Scripture. But in this situation, she needed to learn something, right? We have two sisters. The Scripture says Martha welcomed the Lord into her home. And she was serving, and she was weighed down with that load. And something must have gone wrong that day because she was in a tizzy. And Mary wasn't helping. And how could she? And we see Martha getting jostled around on the inside, turbulent, to the point where she confronts our Savior. And she says, God, Christ, don't you care? You don't care enough, God. Don't you care that my sister, tell her to come and help me. I want you to remember what Christ doesn't say. Here's what Christ doesn't say. Christ doesn't say, now Martha, some people are so important, the world will fall apart. And you are just one of those people, if you sit down, the world will fall apart. You just go back to the kitchen, Martha. Do you ever feel that way? I am the sun in my home and my family. They are the, you know, they're the planets, and I keep them all in revolutions, right? They're all rotating. And if I were to sit down, the world would fall apart. Wherever your sphere is, we're tempted to think of ourselves that way. Christ doesn't say that to her. Christ also doesn't make it a personality issue. Martha, you are just a type A personality. Get used to it. Some of us are just Marthas, and some of us are just Marys. I relate to that. With great love and with great compassion, our Savior says, Martha, Martha, you are full of care. You are careful. You are anxious about many things. And then he says, one thing is needed. Some people try to say he was saying, just make one casserole. That is not what Christ is saying. <laughs> we need to learn that lesson too sometimes. Sometimes less is more. Uh, more is less. Uh, you know what I'm saying. Um, Christ says, one thing is needed. But then he says, Mary hath, what's the next word? Chosen it. What's Christ saying here? Christ saying you have to make a choice. This is a priority issue. It's not a status issue. It's not a personality issue. This is a priority issue, and Mary chose it. He's not saying you should never cook. The Lord knows we have people to take care of. I think this is comparable to when Christ said, with dealing with sin, if you're right, I offend you, pluck it out. You know, he is saying, what's he saying in that passage? He's saying, deal drastically with sin. And I believe he's saying in the Mary Martha passage, he's saying, deal drastically with your schedule. Deal drastically with your priorities because you have to make a choice. This is one of the ways I work really hard to influence our girls at Maranatha. I teach women's ministry courses. I teach Bible exposition. And as I am rubbing shoulders with them, I am trying to encourage them. Make God's word a priority. Because here's what I hear a lot. I hear this a lot. Well, God understands. You know, this isn't the season right now. And there's, there's some truth to busy seasons, and there's more freedom and more time in different seasons of life. But here's what we need to say. It is so vital. Every season is busy. You can find an excuse all the time. Rearrange, do whatever you need to do. Probably the, the single most imp 
One of the most important decisions I made as a young mom, and I'm thankful for my husband's influence on this, was that I decided I was not going to let my kids get me up in the morning. I was going to get my kids up in the morning. Because what happens when the sun comes out? 5.30 in the morning during the summer, they're jumping on your head. You know, and you are not in the frame of mind to deal godly with your child at 5.30 in the morning. And you know what? By 9.30 in the morning, your child needs a nap. And they are tired and frazzled, and you're tired, tired and frazzled, and everyone's tired and frazzled, and there's nothing really productive being happening in your home. And so it took training, and it took time, and it, did, it wasn't overnight, but when they woke up in the morning, they were allowed to read books and play in their room quietly until mom came to get them up. And you know what this allowed? This allowed me to start my day in God's word, adjust my attitude. It allowed them to fall back asleep because they realized they couldn't leave the room. And it wasn't so exciting to wake up at 5.30 and play for three hours. And mom was happy, and the kids were happy. And no, it wasn't utopia. But it was a start to doing things the right way and having God's word a priority in mama's heart. So friends, let's encourage one another. Let's not give each other excuses. It's busy all the time. When's your time going to be where you can make it a priority? Maybe it's your lunch break. Maybe it's before you go to bed. But make it a non-negotiable. This is my time when I spend with God. Because you know what disciples do? We are disciples of Christ. You know what disciples do? We find ourselves at, in the word of Christ, sitting at his feet. This defines us. We are disciples. We need to listen to our master. All right. In our remaining moments, I would like us just to look at the result. What happens if you make this decision? This decision to prioritize God's word. If you start taking pleasure in it and talking to yourself about the word, what should you, dis what should you expect? We're going to see three results in verse 3. And I want you to ask yourself, does this describe me? Does this describe me? And she shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. First of all, I want you to see that the blessed woman is stable. She's planted and she's stable. And this is a huge contrast because we know that the ungodly are not so. The ungodly are like the chaff. They're like the husk, which the wind is just driving away. And they're, they're not stable. Whichever way the wind blows, that's where the, where the chaff are. But the godly person, the godly woman is stable and planted. And I want you to understand, it does not say her life is stable in the sense that all of her circumstances are stable. It says, and he shall be, she shall be like a tree. It means you can be stable even when the wind is blowing. That's a result of having a life in the word. And this tree is planted by the rivers of water, by the source of life. Did you know that God's word is our source of nourishment. It's our source of life. When Christ was here, he said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Are you planted? Are you stable? Are your roots going down deeply into the words of life? Sing them over and over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Notice also that she's going to be fruitful. She's going to be productive. That bringeth forth her fruit in season. You see, women of the word are fruitful women. What does that mean? Well, it means when there's a time for a need for peace, guess what the righteous woman produces? Peace. When there's a need for patience, through the working of the Spirit, what does a righteous woman produce? 
patience, and long-suffering. When there's a need for self-control because the cookies and cream ice cream, fill it in, temptation comes and you need self-control, the blessed woman, through the power of the Spirit, is producing self-control, producing joy, producing those fruits. She is fruitful. Friend, what kind of fruit is God producing in your life through the Word? I have a dear friend in my home church, young mama, who is starting to implement these things. I was getting text updates. We had a conversation, and I said, your kids are getting you up. And she was dealing with some tough issues. I'm like, all right, we got we to make some changes. And that next morning, I am praying, Lord, help her. Help. This is going to be a battle. You know, help her. And I'm getting these text updates, even while I'm here at camp. I'm like, God's word, I'm, I'm becoming stable. I'm, and she is bearing fruit, and I'm seeing peace, and I'm seeing a smile, and she's radiating growth and fruitfulness because of this. Lastly here, she is flourishing. She's prospering. Her leaf also does not wither. My family and I, we went on a, a family reunion with the Mary outside, with my side of the family, and we were gone for around a week. And I had these beautiful zinnias on my back porch, and I am not, I have no green thumb. But I've learned that zinnias are pretty easy. You know, so I had these zinnias in the pots, and they were just this pop of color, and they were, they were beautiful and colorful. And I came home after a week. We'd had no rain. My zinnias were not flourishing. In fact, they looked like brown craft paper. And I went to, like, take the heads off, and it was just crumbly. Women of the word are not crumbly, dry. Women of the word are flourishing. Their leaf doesn't wither. They are green. They are thriving. A woman of the word isn't spiritually decaying or crumbling to bits like my zinnias. Have you met any women like this? I have some friends in their 70s, and their eyes are bright, and their smile is vivacious. And their spirit is captivating, and they are beautiful. And why is that? Because they are women of the word. Their leaf doesn't wither. I'm going to read some descriptions. Which one are you? Spiritually, are you planted and stable? Are you productive and fruitful? Are you prospering and flourishing? Does that describe you? Or are you unstable and shaken and barren and unfruitful? and shriveling and withering. What's the difference? The difference is our relationship to God's word. Oh, friend, can I encourage you? You will never, ever regret basing your whole life around this precious book. Make it a priority. Start today. We trust that today's session was an encouragement and a challenge to your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Be sure to like Southland on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and check out our website at www.southlandcamp.org.